0: Hey, you're going to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. And um, welcome to all of you who are joining us online as well. I forgot to mention that. We're so thrilled that you are with us, whether you're with the church and homesick or traveling, or you are newer and you're checking the church out. We're grateful that you're here as well. Matthew 18 is where we're going to be. We're going through a series on the parables of Jesus. What is a parable? A parable is a story or a scenario with a spiritual lesson. And this lesson is somewhat hidden. It's kind of a way for Jesus to say something without saying it. He was getting in big trouble with the religious authorities, so he could just come out and say, "Uh, you're all false teachers, you know, or he could say a parable about a goat or some weeds or something. And it's like really hard to run to the authorities and be like, he just told a story about a sheep about us. And they're like, "What, what are you talking about? So it was a way for Jesus to say something the lesson was somewhat hidden, um, but it, it protected Jesus in part. The lesson is meant to be understood and applied by the faithful, but it's meant to confuse and upset people who don't believe. So there are stark reactions to the parables, and um, Jesus would often have to like explain the parables to his disciples in private so that they fully understood what the message was. But they are shockingly simple. They're very simple in, in his um, ability to convey deep spiritual truths. So in Matthew 18, verse 21, this is the parable of the unmerciful servant. And I'm actually going to give you the main idea before we get into it, because this is one of those parables where it just says right away, here's what it's about. So jot this down. Number one, main idea, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That is the whole sermon. The whole sermon is forgive as the Lord forgave forgave you. That's 100% of what I'm saying today. Uh, And it's going to be one of the most encouraging messages you've ever heard, and it's going to be one of the most challenging messages you've ever heard. Let's pray real quick again before we hear from God's Word. Jesus, we pray that you would teach us what it means to be forgiving people. Show us what it means to be forgiven people And I pray that as a church, we would aspire to be merciful. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, Matthew 18, verse 21. It says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, the prevailing wisdom back then is you should be forgiving, you know, three, four times maybe. And Peter, he's going to show off a little bit. And he's like, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? He's kind of showing off a little bit with his request even. And what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or perhaps 77s. Uh, right? So it could be 77, it could be 490. There's an astronomically high number here. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, what is a talent? Perhaps you even have a footnote there in your Bible. A talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. So do the math real quick. What do you make in a year times 20 equals a talent? All right? When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So what do you make in 20 years? Multiply it by 10,000. This is a gigantic number. If If you take like the median income for a person and multiply this out, you're like in the one point a lot of billion dollars of debt that this guy is in huge huge number and since he could not pay his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made wow so the servant fell on his knees imploring him have patience with me And I'll pay you everything. Can you picture it? Can you picture this guy who's doomed? How did he rack up a billion dollars worth of debt? This guy's got big problems, not a good guy. But he falls down on his knees. Be patient, please. I'll pay it back. He's getting sold. His kids are getting sold. His wife is getting sold. Life over. And now he's crushed. And it says in verse 27, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. She's looking on him with pity. Get up. You're free. Forgave him the debt. He now, he owes nothing. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now what is that? Denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. Okay, so this isn't a small debt. This is like a hundred days. You're in the thousands, maybe 10,000. So this guy just got forgiven over a billion, and now he sees the guy who owes him thousands. And it says, seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, please have patience with I'll pay you back. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, so let's pretend you're the fellow servants and you just saw what had taken place. Give me like your gasp, like, (laughs) did you just see what he did? He just got forgiven like a billion dollars and then he strangled a guy for thousands. (laughs) When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master, the king, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me? Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There is a lot to dig into in this parable. So let's get started here. Main idea, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The meaning is clear because Peter said, how often, if you look back at verse 21, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So this is a parable for when someone sins against you. A, a brother, even a close person, right? A friend, a family member, a co-worker. Someone does something to you. How many times must I forgive? This many, this many, this many, this many, this many. The question has a, like an assumed implication that there's going to be a threshold Where once they go one over the limit, I can choke them. Now you've done it. You've done it for the eighth time. (laughs) Ha ha! It's kind of like a when can I retaliate? question. And Jesus gives a surprise answer. You have to forgive as the Lord forgave you. So forgiveness is not about a quantity. It's not about a rule. There's not a limit. Uh, Forgiveness is about a heart. Forgiveness is about a quality of relationship. Forgiveness is about you being like God, and the way he treats you, you should treat other people. Now let's figure out who's who in the parable. Jot this down. The king symbolizes God. The king symbolizes God. The idea of a king means that God has authority. The king has authority over his servants and the subjects, and the kingship of God is a well-established image throughout the Bible. God is not just up there as your little buddy, he's a king. He has total authority over you and everything that happens in the world. That means you are under his moral jurisdiction, you'll give an answer to him for your life. He is the king. We have a uh, picture here of one artist's rendition of King Solomon's throne room. Kingship in the Bible takes on a lot of forms, but there was, there was like no king more glorious in Israel than King Solomon. I mean, the guy had these golden lions stepping up as you get closer and closer to the king, and he had gold everywhere. Silver was like worthless in his day. So imagine you are going up to the king, and imagine in that day you have been very naughty. You have racked up over a billion dollars worth of debt. And the king just found out. So God represents the king, this this authoritative place, this authoritative person. He has the authority to judge or forgive us. It's important to know, too, sometimes people will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Have you heard people say that before? Have you ever heard people say, Jesus never claimed to be God? One of the things Jesus will do is he will take traits that only God possesses and he will claim them for himself. Okay, and one of the traits that only God possesses is the ability to forgive sin in an eternal sense. So God is forgiving, and he wants us to be like him, but we don't have authority to truly forgive anyone in the eternal sense. We're just forgiving them in a, in a relational sense. But do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said something pretty incredible. He said in Matthew 9, 6, "...the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins." He claimed a trait of God, a divine trait, that he had the authority to forgive sins on earth. Because of that, this is a a trait of God that can become part of who we are. Because God is like this, because Jesus is like this, we must be like this too. So the king symbolizes God, and he's forgiving, he's merciful, and he has authority to do with us whatever he wants, And this idea of the kingdom of heaven in verse 23 shows that Jesus is the king of kings. We are in a kingdom. And the kingdom of heaven stands for, um, when it comes to what that image means, the kingdom of heaven means the people under God's authority as his followers. The people under God's authority as his followers. We are citizens of heaven. Therefore, we must abide by the law of the land and we must take on the virtues of our king. So the king symbolizes God. Jot this down. The unmerciful servant symbolizes you're not going to like this. Us. Us. You might even want to write down me. (laughs) M-E. We're not supposed to like this guy. He's not a good guy. He's really despicable. He squandered the king's resources. We're not told how, but it doesn't matter how. If a talent is 20 years' pay, and he spent 10,000 of those, he spent 200,000 years' wages. This guy was maybe reckless, maybe indulgent, maybe a mixture of super foolish. How much did you spend on that bridge? Well, the cost kept going up. We don't know if he was grossly incompetent. He was certainly pretty immoral. Uh, and selfish. We're going to find out pretty soon. So it's a combination of just being a really wicked, terrible servant. The unmerciful servant symbolizes us. What a scoundrel. And not only did he squander the king's resources, when he got released from a debt, he immediately found some guy who owed him some money, and it was a substantial amount, and started to choke him. Here's a picture of a guy who really liked to choke other people. All right. This is, this is Darth Vader. And that, that forced death grip is what this guy did the day that he was forgiven a fortune. So the unmerciful servant who cost the king a fortune, who was forgiven a fortune of debt, and then went out and choked a fellow servant, that's you and me. This guy was doomed. This guy was doomed. Then he was released Then he condemned himself again for being a big jerk. And this idea of the unmerciful servant is God telling us, don't do that. Don't do that. We learn about ourselves and we learn about our God. The unmerciful servant symbolizes us. Jot this down. The other servant symbolizes people who hurt us. The other servant symbolizes people who hurt us. So this uh, person who owed the unmerciful servant those are people who've like hurt us. So he got forgiven, then he went out and he found somebody who owed him something, who hasn't paid him back yet. Now, the challenge in this parable is, what are you going to do in that instance? What are you going to do when someone owes you something? How are you going to treat them? In the parable, it was a debt. It was, you know, it was, you owe me, say, $20,000, time to pay up. But that really is a catch-all. It's it's a catch-all for anyone who owes you something, an apology, who owes, like they took something from you, but there's something that needs to be forgiven. And when you are encountering that person, are you going to be a forgiving person? Now, this parable specifically, because of the nuances, means um, you're Someone who's aware, the unmerciful servant was aware of God and aware of God's mercy. So there's, you know, you're kind of aware of how you're supposed to be living. You're aware of God's generosity and grace. But then when you encounter someone who needs your forgiveness, it doesn't matter. You're harsh and unmerciful and you grab them by the throat. What makes this parable even harder is this person seems repentant. This person seems apologetic. You don't always get that in life. So this unmerciful servant was so harsh that even though this servant was willing to say, hey, I'll do whatever it takes, give me some time, he wasn't even willing. He was cruel and ruthless. He wasn't even willing to be merciful toward that guy. So this is a very extreme case to paint a picture of many lessons. So you've got the king symbolizing God. You've got the unmerciful servant symbolizing us. Then you've got the other servant symbolizing people who have harmed us. And this all creates a picture of how God wants us to relate to him and how he wants us to relate to other people. All right, so that's number one, the main idea and the parable overview. What does it mean, though, specifically? Number two, jot this down. God mercifully forgives our astronomical debt in Christ. God mercifully forgives our astronomical debt in Christ. This is like the best news you're ever going to hear. This is like, I can't believe how amazing our God is. This picture of a guy who racked up over a billion dollars of debt is the way God treated him is unbelievable. So vertically to get this parable, you have to start in the place of the unmerciful servant. You and I, we are doomed. We are doomed because of the fortune we've squandered, because of the debt we have piled up spiritually. We are doomed. And God mercifully will forgive our astronomical debt in Christ. What does it mean to forgive, to define our terms? Well, if you look at the words used in the Old and the New Testament, a summary would be forgiveness means to cover, to carry away, or, or to leave something and walk away from it. Uh, or to release from captivity. To cancel. And that's kind of the one that we're zeroing in on here. Something that's canceled. A debt that's covered over. And, and you're released from it. But as we talk about forgiveness, there are going to be times in your life. And right now, there is, there is something in your life that requires forgiveness. It's going to challenge you to cover over something carry it away, leave it altogether, or release someone from captivity, to, to cancel something, all of those are kind of the, what forgiveness feels like. Now write this down, this parable is a picture of debt, a debt we can never pay off. There are many ways to describe sin in the Bible, it could be like a stain that you got that you can't wash off, no matter how much laundry or soap you use, that stain is never coming off. One way to understand our sin is a debt. This, of course, is a picture. It's not like there's literally like a utility bill in heaven for all of the sin. It's not like sin costs you money. But we all understand debt. And so, because of that, we can understand what sin does to us through that idea of debt. This is what we did to God. You're learning about yourself. You squandered his resources. You plunged yourself into moral debt. And so imagine if you spent, if you add it up, it's actually about $15 billion. Imagine if you spent $15 billion of somebody else's money. And then the time came where they're like, you you spent what? Just put yourself in that moment. How much did you spend? A million? No. 10 million? No. No. A hundred million, no. A billion, no. You're getting warmer. Fifteen billion, yes. You did what? Parents, do you ever have that where you like look at what your kids spent? You spent what? One of our kids found her way onto our Amazon account somehow and packages started to arrive. Yeah, and we're, wait, you, you ordered What? How did you get on? They know tech. Watch out. They know tech. And uh, yeah, my, my nephew once got onto my dad's Xbox account and bought like a $100 video game. And he was laughing about it. <laughs> Watch out. When people like overspend your money, you're like, "We well, you spend what? So we know that feeling. And God wants you to grab that feeling and understand what you've done to him. It's a picture of a debt that we can never pay off. That's what sin is. You're talking in the billions. And it's like imagine if at work a guy got caught like maxing out multiple company credit cards. In the millions! This is a staggering amount. This idea of debt should make you feel like you've really done something between you and God that you can't fix. Now when it comes to debt, of course, if you're watching the news, you know that there was big controversial announcement this week because President Biden announced that he would be forgiving 10 dollars to $20,000 of college debt coast to coast, and people have feelings about this. You probably have feelings about this too. Now I'm not sharing this to get in any way political or opinionated. I want you to grab those feelings because I think they're going to help you understand this parable. Imagine if the true announcement that came out this week was this. President Biden decided to find the biggest knucklehead of all knuckleheads, the guy who could never figure out his major and racked up the highest college debt in the entire country. And this guy comes in with a $10 billion college price tag. And the president said, I hereby pardon you of the entire debt. Now give me your gasp, like... That would be staggering... Then imagine the knucklehead went out and found a friend who owed him a couple thousand dollars and choked him and it went viral. Give me that thousand dollars. And now the president's got a giant PR disaster because he forgave a huge knucklehead's debt. So he pulls the guy back in and he's like, That's it, you're going to jail forever. And now he throws him in jail. Welcome to the parable. Do you feel the surging emotions? And listen, here's the thing you and I, we're that knucklehead. We're that knucklehead. Who could be forgiven an astronomical amount of money because of the mercy of God? And then we can turn around and blow it because we won't forgive. Not him. Not after what he's done. This picture of debt that we could never pay off shows how big our problem is with God. And I just have to say this. If you think you're not that bad of a sinner, you will never understand the mercy of God. Oh, a couple bucks maybe I've racked up on, you know, moral debt. If you don't understand depravity, the fortune you have squandered, and and the fear of standing before the king after you have racked up a life's worth of sin, oh my goodness, you don't know your own sin, and therefore you don't know the immensity of God's mercy. It's a picture of debt that we can never pay off. We're that guy. Jot this down. It's a picture of depravity. We're we're wildly wicked. We're not a little sinful. If sin could be calculated in dollars, we'd owe a fortune. That's just how sinful we are. Sometimes people don't understand the nature of sin. And it would be a mistake to assume you have only sinned a little. The quantity of your sins is going to be astronomical on Judgment Day. It will be staggering. Okay? Your record of debt is not going to be like a little folder. It's going to be like a warehouse. Okay? The amount of your sin is going to be shocking. Uh, the quantity of your sin is a giant problem. But sometimes people don't know the idea of, how, of the quality of sin. So sometimes people are like, well, what, if I just like sin once, I could go to hell forever? Yes. And they think that's wrong, and it's because they don't know the quality, the nature, the kind of substance sin is. The quantity of your sins is going to be a problem. The quality of what a sin is in your life, that's going to be a problem too. And I really want you to understand this picture of depravity so that you understand just how huge your problem with sin is. Let's talk about the quantity of sin. So when we bought a house last year, we moved It was a fixer-upper, and we spent all this time and money renovating a bathroom. Okay, so check it out. Here's a picture of the before and the after. The before, it was set up for, like, 1986, right, on the left, and the wallpaper and the cabinets and... Uh, that's what we started with, and we moved everything around. I mean, the shower and the sink, and the, we moved it all around. And there's me in the middle taking a bathroom selfie <laughs> while, while I'm renovating it. And then on the right is the finished product, and it looks really awesome, right? But then a couple weeks after it was done, water started leaking into the bathroom from the roof, like dripping from the light fixture running down the wall. Now, you know how much damage water can cause, right? So when water starts coming into the house, you have to take quick action. So I went up into the attic and you know what I discovered? One rusty nail was letting in all the water. That's it. One rusty nail was letting in all the water and it was coming down. And if I didn't do something, it was gonna ruin the entire renovation. Now I didn't go up there and say it's only one nail. How bad could one nail be? That one nail was letting in the substance that could destroy the whole project and cost me thousands of dollars. The same is true with sin. One sin, that's all it takes to let that destructive energy of sin into your life. And sin like water can ruin you entirely. So the quantity of sins, even one sin, can truly ruin you, uh, the quality of sin. And the quantity of sins, there's plenty of them there. So this is a picture of depravity, and you have to agree with God that you've really cost Him a fortune that's how sinful you are. It's a picture of debt. It's a picture of depravity. And jot this down. It's a picture of mercy. Only then can you understand God's mercy. Mercy, what does mercy mean? Mercy means God doesn't give us the punishment we deserve. Grace is different. Grace is when God gives us something we don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give us the punishment that we deserve. So this servant deserved to go to jail. He deserved to be sold off. He deserved to lose his entire life. The king was justly condemning him. And listen, when we're punished, when we're condemned on judgment day, we will be justly condemned. It's not gonna be like God's overreacting. This is precisely what we deserve. So when God doesn't give us the punishment we deserve, that's called mercy. And we truly deserve to be condemned. And yes, this picture in the parable is a picture of hell. Uh, It says here that this person is handed over, right, uh, to to the torturers in verse 34. It says, in anger his master delivered him to the jailers, to the torturers, until he should pay all of his debt. And Of course, he'll never do that. This is a picture of somebody going to hell. This is a warning that this is how God's going to treat unmerciful, unforgiving people. Um, This is terrifying. So it's a picture of mercy. God doesn't give us the punishment we deserve, and we are supposed to accept that and be transformed by it. God in Christ chose mercy that saves us. That is the gospel. And I want to ask you at this point, before I go on to more application, have you understood the gospel rightly? Have you ever in your life admitted to God... I'm ruined. I'm doomed. Based on the number of sins I've committed and the nature of sin itself, it's it's hopeless. Have you fallen on your knees and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. I could never pay back this, this debt. If you have, the king's pardon of this unmerciful servant is meant to show you that it doesn't matter what you've done It doesn't matter how bad you've been, and it doesn't matter how good you've been. You need the mercy of the king. Have you fallen down and said, forgive me, forgive all of my sins. Now's the time to do that, because it's going to be too late when you cross over into the next life. If you've never done that, I would encourage you, based on this unbelievable, incalculable, Mercy that's waiting for you to fall before the king now and be fully, fully forgiven forever. What an offer God has shown you. So number one, main idea, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Are you a forgiven person? Number two, mercifully, God mercifully forgives our astronomical debt in Christ. Number three, write this down. We must, therefore, mercifully forgive those who hurt us. We must mercifully forgive those who hurt us. This is a call to application. It says in verse 21, how often my brother sinned against me and I forgive him. Jesus said, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. The forgiveness doesn't end. It says in verse 35, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother, from your heart, this is, a, this is a warning to us. We must mercifully forgive those who hurt us. Now this is where the sermon, I just shared with you like the best news you could ever hear in the world. That God is willing to forgive your entire debt before him and welcome you into his kingdom forever. Wow! And now this is going to be a really, really hard point of the sermon. Because he wants you to go and he wants you to forgive everybody who's hurt you whoa. Now it's going to get hard. We must mercifully forgive those who hurt us. We're not allowed in the kingdom of heaven to be that guy. Here's the picture again of the guy who likes to choke people, okay? And this right here, you have to admit it, this right here is you. It is. Right now there's somebody you're having a hard time forgiving, There's somebody who did something to you, who owes something to you. There's somebody, somebody, who you just want to choke. And maybe you are finding ways to harm them. This is where it gets real. We are not allowed to hold a grudge, to retaliate, to grow bitter, to slander, gossip, condemn. We are not allowed to do that. This raises all sorts of questions that we are going to address Well, what if the person doesn't apologize? Well, what if the person did something truly terrible? What if they're criminal? We're going to get to all that. But I want you to understand that whoever and whatever it is that you're struggling with, God wants you to forgive. He does. I want to be clear about that. It says in Matthew 6 12, the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a correlation. It says in Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, listen, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a giant warning. Unforgiving people won't be forgiven. There's a lot at stake here. And I know there are people who want to be forgiven, but then there are people who don't. Never forget what Jesus said on the cross, Luke 23, 34. Father, they were dividing his clothes up. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus modeled forgiveness for us. God is forgiving toward us, 1 John 1, 9-10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God is ever, ongoing. He's forgiving. He's forgiving. He's forgiving. We should be like Him. And I like what D.A. Carson said. D.A. Carson said, We have been forgiven far more than we will ever forgive. When it's your time, when it's your turn, when it's time to. God's done that to you more than you will ever, ever, ever understand. So we have to be forgiving. The warning here, we should take it to heart. The picture in this parable is actually of an unsaved person. The picture is of somebody who learns of God's grace, maybe even encounters it, right, uh, in a provisional way, maybe even is, you know, enjoying that understanding, but then clearly shows that they are not regenerate. They're not changed. Their heart is the same. They are a wicked servant, and therefore he, he gets thrown into jail for the rest of his life. That's an unsaved person. So this is someone who's aware of God's grace but won't become a forgiving person and is not saved. This can also instruct Christians who are saved but who are struggling to be merciful. And what we learn here is that if we are struggling to forgive and be merciful, this will warrant harsh discipline from the Father for being unmerciful. Harsh, harsh correction is coming if you are not forgiving and being merciful as a believer. So this is convicting. We must mercifully forgive those who have hurt us. Jot this down. Here's a question. Who has justifiably injured you? This is how we're going to learn where this should be applied. Who has justifiably injured you? Who deserves your wrath? Now maybe this person did cost you a fortune. Or maybe they just gave you a stomach ache. Maybe they just ruined your night. I don't know. Who has justifiably injured you? In order to identify this parable and its application in your life, you have to find somebody, and this is really important to understand, they they justifiably hurt you. They did something that was clearly wrong, recklessly wrong, deeply wounding. They did something and it was wrong. It wasn't an accident. It was really hurtful. Something they said, something they forgot something, something they took, and, and if you are honest, you are choking them for it. Oh, maybe verbally, you're just, every chance you get, you're, you know, beating them down with your words behind their back to their face. You are choking them. Maybe you're more of an introvert, and maybe it's more of a passive aggression you won't talk to them you won't look at them you won't smile at them you but you are choking them you're making them pay however you're doing it and we have to find where that is in our lives do you remember joseph in the old testament when his brothers sold him into slavery and many years later they came begging for bread and he had the authority to kill them. Every one of them, he could have been like, I want them off the earth. And he struggled for a little bit. He threw them in jail. He kind of framed them for a crime. He was having a little fun with them. Convicted. He was convicted. Finally, they all came back, and he observed that God had changed their hearts. And it broke him, and he started weeping, and he finally told them, I'm your brother. He let him go. He stopped harassing them. Even after his dad died, he assured them, look, I'm not going to hurt you. What an amazing portrait of mercy. What an amazing portrait of forgiveness. And maybe you have the ability to mess somebody's life up. Who has justifiably injured you? Who are you choking? And what do you need to release? Now, this parable highlights when a person is sorry and repentant. So this would be the worst case if somebody has already apologized to you and they really feel bad about it and you're still choking them. Okay, that's really bad. That's really bad if they have made a move, made a gesture, really tried, and you're still not willing. Boy, you should should just be broken by this at the thought of what God will do to you if you continue that posture. You should be afraid and you should be really broken. I'm that guy! But maybe they're not repentant. Maybe they won't say they're sorry. Now, that does bring up some other challenges, and I want to talk through that. So jot this down. What's the biblical process of correction? And how do I couple being forgiving, but, but what if there's consequences? Like, am I just supposed to truly walk away and let it go and not follow up? <clears throat> we got to bring in other verses of the Bible, <clears throat> other principles, so that you can understand what the whole picture is here. When a person is not sorry, when a person is not repentant, you still have to forgive But the Bible does expect us to deal with sin, to correct it. So you're not canceling that what the person did or said was wrong. Surely, if they did something criminal, you're not like, I'm good. I'll tell the insurance company the car will be okay. Like, there might be consequences. That doesn't mean you're being unforgiving. Okay, I really want to clear that up. In your heart, you can forgive a person even if they've justifiably hurt you, even if they're not repentant or saying they're sorry. You can forgive them. You should forgive them. You must forgive them. But things can still be complicated. The Bible is clear about this. In Luke 17, 3, Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Did you hear that? Rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him that begs the question, what do I do if they don't repent? Well, even in the context here in Matthew chapter 18, just before this parable is the passage in verse 15 about church discipline. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Okay, so that's what you do. You don't just sit at home and be like, I did it, said it, didn't believe it. I'm just going to let it go because that's what God wants me to do. I'm just going to let it go. No, he wants you to go and tell him, hey, you blew it. And if you bypass a biblical process of forgiveness, that's really going to make it hard for you to forgive. If I won't talk to her about it. That's going to make it hard for you to forgive. So please see there's a, there's a congruence, there's a parallel of you working through a biblical process, that's actually a way that you are demonstrating forgiveness. And if you bypass the biblical process, it's gonna make your forgiveness even harder. Okay, you're gonna go and tell him his fault. Verse 16, if he doesn't listen, la, 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 I don't care. Now you take one or two others with you. You're intensifying it. Hey, this really hurt. This was wrong. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector that just means that this person is really stuck in a pattern where you have to treat them differently and maybe even put them under church discipline and put them out of the church for a while. So please understand, forgiveness does not mean you bypass a biblical process. And if you are working someone through a biblical process of reconciliation, that's not unforgiving. Oh, well, you just won't let it go, will you? Now I got to meet with someone else. Do I? I wish you would just forgive me. No, that, that's not biblical. You can forgive and work through a process at the same time, and you must. I would never want to make you feel like forgiveness means you have to be victimized or complicit with someone whose sin is, let's say, criminal behavior. My boss isn't paying me. Oh, well, forgive him 70 times 7. No, no, that's not what it means. Please understand, that's not what it means. You're not looking away from corruption. You're not indulging or allowing criminal behavior you're not refusing to correct sin, that's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. And doing these things where you kind of hold someone accountable, that's not unmerciful. That's not unmerciful. That's actually very biblical. So these are balancing truths. The context shows that being merciful and forgiving doesn't mean bypassing legal and formal processes of correction. In your home, yeah, my toddler sassed me again. Oh, I guess I just, seven, eight, I just have to keep forgiving. No, you got to raise up your child, the training instruction of the Lord. you got to discipline them, right? So please understand, you can forgive someone while still holding them accountable, challenging them to be holy. At times, case by case, you could just overlook an offense. You know what, I'm just going to let that one go. That might be appropriate. At times, you might need to have a conversation about it. At times, you might need to push through with a process, you know, formally. But all along, you have to forgive. You have to forgive. So who has justifiably injured you? What is the biblical process of correction? And then jot this down finally. Are you ready to release them from your unmerciful grasp? This is the big question. So you've you've got them. And they did do something, and maybe it was big, you know, and you've got them, but God had you, God had you, and he let you go, so you have to let them go, and if you don't let them go, God won't let you go to heaven. Wow. A pattern of unforgiveness shows an unsaved heart. It's time to forgive. Unforgiveness is a severe offense in God's kingdom. To close here, I want to give you a chance to just ask yourself, who is this message for? Who does God want you to release, to forgive, to walk away, to cover over, to release? Who does God want you to forgive? Let me read a final passage here, and then we'll pray. Romans 12, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Father, I know right now, the waters in our hearts have been stirred up. And and first of all, what an unbelievable picture of mercy. God, as a king, you are willing to be that forgiving to us. Over $10 billion of reckless spending, and we can be forgiven of everything? What an awesome merciful, forgiving God we have. And to be included in the kingdom of heaven? Oh, how awesome that is. We don't belong in your kingdom. We don't belong under your rule. We've we've cost you a fortune. Thank you, Father, for the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we look around to our relationships, we know people have hurt us. They've taken things from us. They have either passively or actively wounded us, forgotten us, overlooked us, they've said things, they've done things. And, and Lord, maybe there are some who have said sorry. Maybe they've demonstrated a regret and, and we're still holding on to it. I just pray that you would give us that challenge right now to forgive, to release, to let it go, to be merciful as you have been merciful to us, to treat them better, than they deserve to not give them the punishment that they have merited Lord it's even harder when they're not repentant when they haven't said sorry when they're blaming us when they claim they've done nothing wrong Jesus on the cross dying you said Father forgive them Father forgive them give us that same spirit of forgiveness show us wisely what it means to, to follow the biblical process so that we can Work toward reconciliation, but all the while help us to maintain a forgiving, merciful, gentle heart to to, to treat people better than their sins have deserved, to not throw the book at them, to not give them exactly what they deserve. That's not how you treat us. And Lord, I I just want to right now have just a, a moment of silence so that people here can ask for your forgiveness if they've been unmerciful, and maybe even in their own hearts, name some people who they are going to release, who they are going to forgive. Right now, just take that moment in your own heart to forgive or to ask for forgiveness. Lord, help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. Help us to release, to cover over, to walk away, to not repay, to not grow bitter, to not resent. No matter what's been done, help us to forgive. Give us that power through your spirit. Free us from the grip and the bondage of unforgiveness and remind us that you have forgiven us far more than we will ever forgive others. May that make us merciful. We pray this in your name. Amen.